What if you did work? What if you took action and made it happen and started living inside of your purpose? What if you did work? Right now you can make the choice to never listen to that negative voice no more. The hardest prison to escape is our own mind. I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time. To make it happen, you gotta take action. Just imagine what if it did work? Are you a startup or a business owner looking to collaborate with industry-leading influencers on social media? Then sign up at accessmynetwork.com and start your brand awareness campaigns or lead gen campaigns on our platform. Again, it's accessmynetwork.com. What if it did work? All righty, another day, another beautiful day, another episode of my favorite podcast. What if it did work? Gotta say... I'm not going to be biased, Bruce. You're one of my faves. Oh, you're you're so. Uh, here, here, here's how I'm going to introduce you, Bruce. Bruce Weinstein, the Plan Man, the Man, the Myth, the Legend. He's got his own podcast. He's got his own business. If you have questions when it comes to annuities, when it comes to insurance, when it comes to investing, when it comes to the stock market which is hopefully making a comeback. There's only one person I know. And yeah, he's he's a friend and he's also a member of the What If It Did Work page. So maybe that's why I'm biased too. Love you, Bruce. Is that a decent introduction? <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Everything you want to know about finance, insurance, and more, but we're afraid to ask. That's, yes. Never, that's the tagline. That's the, Do it one more time because we're all about the plug, man. So many people are afraid to plug, but not you. Go the ahead. Sh- so the show is called Ask the Plan Man, everything you want to know about insurance, finance, and more, but we're afraid to ask. Look at that. Usually, usually I have to pull teeth and wait till the end, but <laughs> and where can we find this amazing podcast? And, and, and I'm not saying that because I, I, I was a guest. I'm just saying you it's informative, it's educational, and you keep it entertaining. Thank you. Yeah, we we were uh we're we're all over. We got the YouTube channel, Ask the Plan Man. We've got the podcast stations, Ask the Plan Man. You got a toll-free number, 844 Ask the Plan Man. You got a website, Ask the Plan Man. So just look for Plan Man and it'll come up. But what what we basically doing is I'm I'm not a big writer. I'd like to have a book like you someday and and hopefully we'll get to it. But but before I left this planet, I wanted to take my 35 years of experience and be able to give it to people in nuggets to carry on as a legacy. And so all the different things that I've done, the aspects that go into what financial planning, planning in general is about, insurance, investments, finance, budgeting, exit strategies, estate planning, it, we just talk about all those different things. We're, we're bringing an episode on, should I lease a car or purchase a car? Like, What's the best way to, to do car purchasing? A lot of people struggle with that and frankly get ripped off like i'm sure you don't like walking into dealerships and and dealing with that and you know waiting for the shoe to drop we talk about how to how your credit scores can be impacted how to be a franchisee and entrepreneur which is what the topic was when you came on oh that's all i can say about being a franchisee now when it comes (laughs) to cars bruce how much can you afford you like that exactly exactly (laughs) oh that's a horrible way how how much you compete against yourself Yes. Tell, tell me your budget, and then I'm going to make the car $10,000 higher because it matches the price you just told exactly. me. Exactly. Or Bruce, you're, I don't know if I can I can go with this deal. Uh, I'm losing money on this deal. I'm yeah. going to go. Just wait right here in my office while I go talk to my general manager. He's going to think I'm insane. Give I'll be right this. back. I'll be yeah. right back. Yeah. And then, three, and then three other managers walk in and tell you why they're losing money. I know. I, I, Oh, I, I, I think I say the anecdote in in the podcast, which hasn't dropped yet. Uh, look at the dealerships now. Look at the service centers the dealerships have built, these monstrosities. And I correlate it to the casinos, like when you go to Vegas or Atlantic City. Look at the size of their house and look at your house because somebody's paying for that. So it's your gambling proceeds when you used to go to Vegas, right? 
you probably left more money there than you brought home over the years, like I have. It, it depends. When the ex-wife was asking, no, we were, we broke even. Or, oh, well, that's that's the standard bro code right there. You never tell the wife what you lost. No, <laughs> no, no, no not at all. Or, 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 or she's hovering right above you. And like, yeah, I'm losing because you're like right here. But if you leave for a few hours, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to I'm going to be on a major heater. Yeah. But you know what that's called? That's called the sale. People think, well, if you buy this Lexus from me, I'll throw in an oil change. Lifetime oil. And I'm like, whoa, really? Yeah. I'm, I'm ripped. It, it's, it's really priced in. I'm sure. but, but yeah, it, especially here in South Florida, the car dealerships look like the Wynn Casino, look like Caesar's Palace. But also here, we, you had this fear of missing out. Wouldn't you agree? You have to keep up with the Joneses. The reason why we had the number one car, um, Porsche car dealer, the number one Lexus car dealer in the country is because, hey, we need to, right. we need to keep up our appearance of hashtag winning. Right. Style. Styling <laughs> and profiling. Yeah. Uh, I remember I moved down here a few years ago and, and my realtor was like, yeah, you know, I'm in Boca. And uh, they would say, uh, the, the car of the year is the Bentley convertible. And you start seeing all the Bentley convertibles popping out, you know, which are like $300,000 or whatever. Yeah, something like, I, I don't know because yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I've seen them. I've never literally been inside one to check out the, the yeah. roof. Has an extra zero in there for me. Bring it back to 30. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it's all a sale. Everything's a sale. Bruce, sure. You sound lifestyle. It, it it's not only a lifestyle, but just think think how great you'll feel being and and oh, and it's handmade. The Rolls Royce, not any other car, is handmade like this. We this we created just for you. And you put your name on the door, right? They have uh, the plates, yeah, on the, hey. on the engine or the engine block or something. The Bentleys in the and the Rolls. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in a working class neighborhood, Bruce. You, you're you're sounding like my <laughs> my first boss that said I needed to go back to Miami and live in my mansion. Yeah. So, okay. Have you grew up where? New York, New Jersey. I'm Jersey? a Jersey guy. Yeah. In the South, it's all Yankees. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm definitely Yankee. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, Central New Jersey, about an hour from New York, hour from Philly. And, uh, oh, dude, you, you had the best of both worlds. You could go to Atlantic City right there. Two, two, two hours to Atlantic City. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, before it got all boarded up and you got <laughs> the beat down we, from Vegas. We, we went to Atlantic City when they still had $2 tables, <laughs> which are long gone. Used to, <laughs> used to take, you could take the bus. You, you would get a bus ticket for $10. The bus would take you down. They give you 10, a roll of quarters back. Because the slot, so you get your ten dollars back, and then they gave you a voucher for like a pastrami sandwich at the deli. So you got right. to eat. They drove you there and drove you back, and you pretty much paid the bus company. But then the casino gave you the ten dollars, and that—that's how my gambling <laughs> addiction got started. My, my gambling addiction got started because as a, as a little boy, I always wanted to go to to Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. You know, the Evil Knievel and, and all the shows, all the fights. And it was always like live from Caesar's Palace. And I remember my family would always be like, that's for adults. That's for adults. Well, they surprised me for my 21st birthday. <laughs> we went there. I didn't know how to split cards and double down. And I was, I was $10 hands. And I was like on such a major heater. I had like prostitutes around me. I had everybody and they're telling me double down, split. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I won like $3,000, $4,000 and it got me hooked. But Vegas was always in my system. I was supposed to go to UNLV and my mom almost had a heart attack when I told her I was going to the UNLV. So <laughs> you figure you're never going to go to class. <laughs> well, I, I never went to class at LSU either, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. Have you always wanted to be the insurance guy? Uh, annuity no, guy? no, I, I, I went to college, 
uh, walk. I went to a small division two school in Western Pennsylvania. I had this fantasy of playing football and I was really not football material, but I liked being part of the team. So division two, I could walk on. So I walked on for football and, and, and tried out for baseball. And, uh, I went there for computer science. I really didn't know what to do. And, and this is 1980, 81. Like there were no computers that these kids know about nothing with the phone. And you, we, we had the, the card punching machines like in high school. And that was your exposure of writing programs. But I, I, I went through it. I didn't really know much else to do. I did get a background, uh, minor in finance. And but my first job was in computers, and my dad was into the markets, and I started writing and charting and monitoring things uh, a little bit. And I got a stockbroker. I didn't even know what a stockbroker was, but I had a Payne Weber account, and I would tell this guy what I wanted to buy, and he would talk me out of it and give me his garbage, and his garbage kept losing me money, and my stuff kept going up, and I'm paying him big commissions. And I said, well, maybe I should be a stockbroker. Again, I had no idea what they did. And so at the age of 23, I walked in the door at Merrill Lynch and went through the process and wound up launching my career there. So I was in the investment side for 30 years and duly licensed. It's life insurance, estate planning, uh, annuity work. But really, the second go around for us is Weinstein Wealth Insurance Solutions, which is less than two years old, is we kind of started from scratch, purely insurance, got rid of the securities license in 16. And we got Medicare, we have health insurance. So just really rounded out my investment acumen and pumped up the insurance side and, you know, less regulatory issues to deal with in insurance and investments these days. So and and people frankly, just don't understand what is even out there in their auto, in their home, in their health, life insurance. They, they don't understand the marketplace and Obamacare and, you know, that, that there's so much free health insurance out there and, you know, what the rules are and how to go about it. And I think the biggest thing we do is get people who come to us who tried to do it themselves and mucked it up and really didn't know what they were doing. And the bottom line is it doesn't cost them anything to work with us. Like the marketplace pays us, Medicare pays us. And one of our lines is don't go it alone. Like, why would you do this yourself? It's like you you and I trying to change the oil in our car. Like, I'm not a mechanic. I wouldn't even know the first thing that, you know, nobody ever taught me. I don't know what to do with it. Now go change your oil. Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to go to Jiffy Loop. Like, I <laughs> find somebody to do it for me. So um, we love helping people. I think that's been... Uh, the, the common theme for you and I is it's about giving back, paying it forward. And again, as I referenced earlier, the, the whole plan man plan was to help people have a forum, self-educate. They can interact with me without interacting with me. They can watch my videos. They can watch the YouTube channel. They can go to the, you know, Apple, Spotify and all those things and listen to you when I talk about something. So they can self-select. The episodes are 30 to 45 minutes on average. We both know we had Coach Bird on. That's one of our business coaches that you and I love and work with and, you know, talked about things to help you improve as on a personal level, right? Because it's, it's a personal plan. It's a health and wellness plan. Um, and so that's kind of been what my, you know, my mission is with this is just having such a wide array. A lot of people podcast about something very niche or specific sometimes. Uh, like this is for insurance agents. Like it's an insurance agent platform. Well, I can talk to stuff about insurance agents, but it's the masses. There's how many? 300 million people in this country. And I guarantee you 50 million of them don't have a clue about most of these insurance things and what a what a mutual fund is and a 401k and a Roth IRA. Like they're just everywhere I go and talk with groups, you get like that blank stare of like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's basic stuff, Omar. It's not, I'm not talking about uh, you know, life insurance trusts and charitable remainder. Like, I'm not giving them the high end stuff. This is just, don't you have a 401k at work? No, what is that? <laughs> well. For the, the one thing that I got to say, Bruce, since you said you went and you worked at Merrill, you work with Susie Orman, and I'd, I'd have to say you're you're much more attractive and you're <laughs> way, way cooler than Susie. I, I've, met, I've met Susie. But I, I think you and I, too, we, we were both, quote unquote, financial advisors. It's just a sales job, dude. There's That's no different than selling a, a car. People thought... That you and I were like in it in, in Wall Street. That you know we we were sitting in on meetings with the the Oracle of Omaha, 
And, you know, we, we had Charlie Munger's phone number and there's <laughs> movies, right? You know, greed is good. Oh, it's a sales job. The, the, the reason your broker told, pitched you what he wanted, he told you to buy was no different than you and I. When you work for Edward Jones, when you work with Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, et cetera, et cetera, we need you to sell more of this. Yeah. And we, we've, there's a couple of episodes that we have on Ask the Plan Man. We talk about what Wall Street doesn't want you to know. And it's the biggest thing that I learned as a young broker and why I went from different firms, because it was the same everywhere you went. And at 23, 24, 25 years of age, I was told by management, I don't pay you to think, I pay you to sell. Because they'd exactly. say, how, exactly. how, how come you didn't put Omar into this limited partnership? How, how come you didn't put him into the product of the month? Because Merrill Lynch was big on underwriting and, and using their investment banking and bringing in deals and products to bring to market for bigger fees. And so I would sit there going, well, I was doing consultative sales before it was a word. And I'd say, Omar, tell me about you and the girls and you know, what are you trying to accomplish and what are you doing for college? And you know, we'd find something appropriate for the kids in a college plan or uh, an IRA for you. It, it's not a limited partnership and it's, it's not some product of the month. So it wasn't appropriate for you. And so I wouldn't even bring it to you. And then when quota time came and the manager's like, well, how come you're not selling into this, this uh, limited partnership? You know, you can get a trip to Hawaii for it. I'm like, well, I don't think it's right for Omar and his family. Oh, okay. everybody, has, everybody has that. Don't you love that? We need you to be balanced, which yeah. means, we, yeah. <laughs> 8% commissions to the house. Yeah, that's what yes, I, I You're, you're going to laugh, laugh at this story. This was like when it all went south. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I need to become an entrepreneur. I, I was with Edward Jones. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking of, oh, man, Omar Madrano, Morgan Stanley. Mm, what a what a ring to it. So, you know, the process, getting ready to get hired. They, they they put me like right outside the bullpen and they're all pitching the hell out of Enron. And this is like <laughs> after this, this this is like when when Enron is like at two dollars a share. They're still dumping people DCA in it, double down, triple down. And especially, you love it at forty. You love it at two. Exactly, it's a steal. It's a steal at two, and that, that's what I was. Saying. Oh, I don't even know if I have enough to sell you. We're, we're and it's it's crazy because I'm cringing because I'm like, holy smokes, are you dead serious? And there's like twenty guys just like picking up the phone, calling clients, cold calling clients, saying, "Buy Enron, buy Enron, buy right. Enron." And everybody was shocked that you know the, the the big firms were trying to dump it on retail. That's exactly what we talk about. It's, yeah, it's Wall Street treats Main Street and the retail client as its distribution channel. And, exactly. and if you go listen to the episodes, uh, we talk about what's happened with with the cryptocurrency and with Bitcoin and how you couldn't get it when it was a hundred, you couldn't get it at a thousand, you couldn't get it at ten thousand, but at sixty thousand, now Goldman Sachs is going to let you have all you want. Well, what do you think happened since that sixty thousand price? It's pretty much collapsed, right? It's like twenty thousand. Yeah, so but I'm dropped. waiting for a hundred thousand. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, it's it's going to come back. Down. It's going to come back. I'm buying more. It's going to come back. Now, I'm not saying, and I, you know, to your listener out there, we're not saying it's not going to be something profitable or successful. But the warning flag from my years of experience is, Omar, what percentage of your money should be exposed to cryptocurrency? I'm golfing the other day with a buddy. I don't know anything about his finances. He's like, what do you think about gold? Should I be putting money in gold? Now we're in high inflation times, but you know the gold bugs are out there. Certainly it's an inflation hedge. But again, I said to him, what percentage of your money? What else is in your portfolio? Why do you feel you need gold? So it's not that these investments are wrong for people. What's wrong is people not understanding how it fits and correlates to everything else. And I'll throw one term out here. I consider myself a financial doctor. If you go to your doctor and you tell him you have pain behind your eye and he just gives you a pill, does he really know what's going on with the pain behind your eye? Has he done a full diagnosis to know that you just have a little, you know, high blood pressure, had too much salt that day? Or is there like some mass growing behind your eyeball? Like, did he really check? 
So I'm not going to tell you buy gold or buy cryptocurrency or how much or give you any opinion on this stuff till I really understand as a financial doctor, what the heck's going on and what do you need and what's appropriate for you? Well, my ex-wife, before she became an entrepreneur, was a pharmaceutical sales rep. So she would tell you the reason why the doctor wrote you that script was because the pharma rep took him to play golf. You're giving secrets away. He took him out to eat dinner, (laughs) mom, a nice golf club. I'm sorry. Are you saying if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? I, I, I know. Mind-blowing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mind-blowing. Yeah. And all that's and and the same with Wall Street. A lot of stuff's been done finally to mandate some of that. We would get wholesalers coming through that would wine and dine you and want you to sell their mutual fund or sell their annuity and sprinkle money at you and take your golfing. And and I would be, you know, I was at the point where if I'm not using your stuff, if it's not the right fit for my client, I don't need your dinner out and I don't need you know your seminar money because I'm not going to give you the business back and I don't want to be obligated to have to give you the business back. If it's right for my client, I'm going to use it. I have nothing to sell, just problems to solve. So when I want to solve Omar's problem, if it means he needs long-term care insurance and he needs a, a three-year CD, well, that's what we're doing. I'm not going to give him your annuity because you took me to dinner. Oh, no. I was trained that we only had these preferred fund families, which were all right. low. Kick it back. Kick it back. Uh, kickbacks. That, hey, we, that's how we get paid. I'd, I'd go from one brokerage firm to another. And the products I had at one firm were suddenly not available at the other firm. And no, that's whole, when you, ha- you have to liquidate and you have to. But, I, but let's say I was putting money into you know X. And I did a lot of business with X and had a good relationship with the wholesaler from X. And now I go to this other brokerage firm. He's like, hey, we don't have what's called a selling agreement. Exactly. And you you can't, I could bring the money over, but I couldn't sell more of it. And you're like, well, why Uh not? Well, because it was pay to play. Yes. Or or we really can't track it as well as if it's not. It was pay to play. So they would basically say, you know. XYZ annuity company, you had to pay the brokerage firm, the Merrill Lynch, the the UBS, the Morgan Stanley's. We want $10 million a year from you, hard cash, to let you in our system so that our sales force will sell and offer your products. And a lot of the investment companies, annuity companies, mutual companies, like, we're not paying you $10 million to, to, to be on your platform. If you want to use our product, use our product, and you'll the company will get paid that way. No, we, we have a national event. We're take, taking all our top producers. We're going to take Omar to Hawaii for the week. We need you to sponsor that. We need $5 million for that. We need $10 million for this. And some paid it and some didn't. And so I lost opportunities with some of my preferred carriers because the firm I was with was hijacking them for money and they weren't getting it. And so I had to find something else or not do any more annuities. It's oh, I, with, with me, it was, it was always like, you know, they, well, we, we need you to sell. Now, looking back, yeah, it was a great deal because interest rates were way higher 20 years ago. But 30, 30 year notes because the commission's higher. So they, they, we always talk about, and this, this is an entrepreneur, yes, KYC, know your customer. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when you're in a heavily based commission, and when they're telling you what to sell, they might they might say know your customer, but they truly don't mean know your customer. I was about eighteen months in the business. Merrill Lynch was underwriting. I still remember the name. It was called Comstock. It was a closed end fund of some kind with like a five percent dividend, and it paid a fifty cent commission, which was five percent, which is pretty good. So it means the house is making even more than that because there's their underwriting fees, and. It just was not something I was doing. And everybody, there was contests in the office. Uh, people were doing it. And the manager, the VP of the, of the branch, and there's 100 brokers. This, this is a Princeton office with 100. It's a top five firm in the country. It's wealthy. It's a wealthy area. And I get called in with a couple other guys by the VP. And he's like, there seems to be a conspiracy around here. He says, you guys aren't selling any of this Comstock. And he goes, if so-and-so, and he I won't name this guy's name, but this is one of the biggest producers in the Merrill Lynch system, and he had big institutional accounts. He goes, if so-and-so, if Omar can sell 50,000 shares of this stuff, why can't you guys find a few thousand shares? And I said the magic words. I didn't think it was appropriate for, I don't think it's appropriate for my client. 
Oh, you must have you you must have made a lot. No wonder you kept on jumping firm to firm. Trying. I left. I I left. So I the I don't want to curse. You know, the crap hit the fan after I said that because he was now on the warpath and after me. And oh, by the way, guess what the Comstock did after it came out? It collapsed. Like it went to like six. So you know, clients got eaten alive out of this thing, and I wasn't going to be exposed to it. And so based on that conversation and how I was treated, I left six months later. I did my two years at Merrill and I left and I, I wasn't going to. And and unfortunately, you know, some places were better. You know, Merrill was a big animal on the street. They were the biggest. They had the most underwriting opportunities and, and the investment banking was huge business for them. But they just wanted us to be their their distribution channel and move the crap and make extra money. But they didn't care if my clients were going to lose 40% or not and, and that I had to deal with it. So I'm like, I'm, I don't want to do that. And so that's what I, when I sit with clients, even today, even though I don't really actively manage their money as much, I, I still work with other people that do. And, and I sit in and I act as an advisor and, and uh, help them on the insurance stuff. But at the biggest thing I've been telling people since like literally 1990 is I'm going to tell you what Wall Street's out to do to you. And I'm going to help you avoid that. You don't have to listen to me, but I'm going to tell you how they're going to hurt you. And so I can't promise your results, but I'll tell you what we can do to to put you in a position to succeed and take all the BS out of the equation and just properly direct, you know, our clients to financial success. But yeah, they're, they're, there's they, they it's like the car dealership. They're not your friend. You know, the brokerage firms are looking at you as we, we as another line we say, you don't own your client and you don't own your client's money. You're just renting them because at some point, at some point, they're going to they're going to go somewhere else because they're going to realize it's one sided. Like, all I do is pay all these fees. Oh, my. How come I pay you all this money and I'm losing money? Well, we have commissions, you know. Exactly. And that's I tell people the best fund manager out there is the man in the mirror. Mm. And. Well, how about all these years of, of your experience or my, ex, my years of experience? What am I going to do? Put myself in a, no, in a, in a loaded fund? <laughs> no. Am I, am I, am I, am I going to call my ex-mentor? Who, I, the, the worst thing that I did was for the first couple of years becoming an entrepreneur, I left the money with my old firm. He, he was managing my money, my, my mentor. And my mom's money. He he had he put her in Lehman Brothers, <laughs> to say the least. But with me, Citicorp, he had me at Citicorp at its high, like at a hundred and something. And my ex-wife would always, you know, why don't you do you 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 do your own money? And then he wrote it all the way down to two dollars yeah. from a hundred dollars a share. Remember when? Oh yeah, went to I, two? I had I had. Wachovia stock went from 60 to two and I had a half a million dollars of Wachovia stock. And then he's like, he's like, we're in it for the long term. Yeah. And it's like, where, where, in what long term? This day, 20 something years later, city core is nowhere near. No. (laughs) And I, and literally she was right. She's like, you, this is your money. He's, he's doing whatever he needs to do. To win the two annual trips, yeah, up and all that. The, the problem is, you know, you you and I were trained. You don't you don't lose to yourself, and oh, so when, exactly. when when something's getting clobbered, you, you now have this pain. You have an emotional pain. Your broker's got an emotional pain because now he's like, do I face the music and take the heat for this loss, or do I just you know wait it out, ride it out? It's going to come back. And the bottom line is, nobody knew what was happening. I just said to you, if if the audience heard it is I had Wachovia stock during the same window of Lehman and, and Bear and everybody going out of business, 0708. And it was a $60 stock. It was the highest rated bank on Wall Street. It had a 5% dividend. I had been buying the stock for nine years in my 401k and my deferred comp. And I had a half a million dollars of stock. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep... Pr-. And I was like 40. And, and I'm like, I'm going to just keep buying, reinvesting that dividend. Like that's $25,000 a year in dividends of just buying more stock. And in 20 more years, it'll be worth millions and millions of dollars. And I I had colleagues that did that in their Merrill stock and their, you know, their Payne Weber stock. And and they failed. It went to a dollar and a quarter. 
And my account went to under $10,000. And as you said today, it's still not even close to a half a million dollars. It's, it's not, it's not even six figures. Like it's just, and that's 15 years down the right. It's 22 now. It's that's almost 15 years ago. Exactly. So it, 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 again, this is a line I say frequently getting in is easy. Getting out is hard. I, because it, it sucks to lose, man. But sure. people don't under the, the thing is people always. And this comes with women. This comes with if it looks too good to be true, hundred percent. If it's on sale, you're catching a falling knife just because it looked amazing at a hundred dollars and it's now at five dollars a share. There's a reason why <laughs> it right. drops. It's not hey let's let's load up uh, on this on the stock, and that's what a lot of people feel. A lot of well, people. Always buy buy cheap. Cheaper is never the best. No, no. And again, depending on the sophistication of the audience and their portfolio and their investment acumen, that's why there's mutual funds. And they should be in mutual funds, letting a manager research the stocks, look at the charts, have the fundamentals. That's what you're paying them for versus you and I trying to pick an individual stock and put 20, 30, 40 of them because we're just not going to be in the know enough. No, and then not, we're not in the board. We're not with the company. No, it's like no. Peloton. Did, did you see that when the CEO and the board knew that it was going to crater? Yeah. So they're dumping all their shares. Yeah, major, big time illegal, right? They can't yeah. front run it. Yeah. Uh, but they, they all were. <laughs> and they're like, oh, oh yeah, it, this, this stock's good. Our company's amazing. And then after everybody dumped it, oh, oh yeah, we're going to have to stop making the Peloton. Nobody wants to buy our bike right. anymore. I mean, that's with the technology age and transparency where you could see what a fund is doing. You would get a quarterly report. You would see their top 10 holdings. Look, I mean, you mentioned Warren Buffett before. If you just bought everything that Warren bought around the times he bought it and then Watch him never sell or virtually never sell anything. You just, that's a pure buy and hold mentality. And he always bought the quality and he wasn't gambling. He wasn't but playing the game. Yeah, it's like when you, well, you pay to buy a, like an, a, a fund, like an S&P 500. It's not right. sexy. Well, it's, not it, like, it, it's not sexy. It's better for the, the client, but it's not better for Wall Street because they're not making enough money on it. Oh, it, it, yeah. What is Vanguard? What's the Vanguard S and P five hundred? It's like point zero nine management. I know, fees. but we're, that's evil. That's not good. Oh, sorry, I need to sell you something at <laughs> a five percent, right? Right. <laughs> or, okay. or 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 a B share, so I can right. stick it to you every year that you own it. A lot of that's gone now, but yeah, that, yeah. I, but I, I, remember that. Omar, I, Omar, I can't afford my BMW payment if you buy the uh, index fund. I need you to. I need you to buy this instead. No, it's terrible. It, it, exactly. Look, there's a lot of look. There's hundreds of thousands of financial advisors, and I don't want people to think that it, everybody's. No, bad. no, they're no, not. No. But but the system is. You you like to use the evil empire in a lot of terminologies, um, you know. And, and so when you look at Wall Street in that sense as an evil empire, is there they may pretend. Look, it, it's things have changed since I started in the 80s and the 90s for sure. Is it better? Is it perfect? Is there still bias? Is there still a hidden agenda? Yes to all the above. Is it better? Yeah, it's better. Uh, but again, Omar, you have to pay attention. You have to ask the right questions. You have to find the right advisor and you have to hold them accountable and know what you're doing. And that's the part of the problem. And that's why the plan man is here is to give people the questions to ask or what to look for or the hidden bombs that are waiting for them that they walk in and say, well, why'd you just buy this five-year extended warranty on your $40,000 car for, and they just charge you another $5,000? Like, well, you know, because you don't, oh, well, I can, it's in my lease payment and I can, yeah, yeah well, yeah. that's, you know, it, it so it, it's, the, the lines are, you don't know what you don't know. So how do you know to ask for it? Right. I don't know things. You don't know things. You and I collaborate so we can entertain new ideas with each other and bounce them off and educate each other. Of, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way, right? I tell people I'm a mudslinger, meaning I'm an outside the box thinker, and I'm going to throw ideas at you or questions at you, and I'm going to make you sit up in your chair and go, you know, Bruce, I haven't thought of that. I'm like, Omar, what about this? Omar, what? look, I, I, I enrolled a client today, as a matter of fact, first thing this morning, her health insurance was up for renewal. 
And so, again, you know, how'd the plan work? You're happy with it? You know, the rate went up a little bit. Do you want to change it? Do you want to look at other options? And she's like, you know, just keep me in what I'm in. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so we have to go through and we get her payment method. And I said, are you putting this through your business? She's self-employed. She said, no. I said, why not? I'm like, your health insurance is a business expense. Your company. I said, if you work for IBM and IBM provides you health insurance, it comes out pre-tax, doesn't it? She goes, yeah, it does. I said, so, and does IBM write off what they pay for your health insurance? She goes, yeah, of course. I said, so you're your own business. Omar, you're, you're your own business. You can take your health insurance and it's an expense at the top line, not the bottom line, not after this and that. And the other. Like that's a top line expense. She's like, I had no idea. Again, should I have told her last year? Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe we missed that. You know, didn't realize she was self, whatever it was. But if I don't mention it, she don't know what she don't know. But you, fi- you fixed the problem. A lot of people would be like, I caught it. I paid attention. Again, I'm kicking myself now because maybe I did or didn't say it to her last year. You're but still saving her money. Sure. Sure. Well, a but, lot of people would be like, no, nah, it's not, not my problem. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many other agents out there are going to say, you know, this, you could put this through your business and t- make a tax deduction because, hey, disclaimer, I'm not a tax advisor, right? I, I got to tell people all that. Yes. Right. Yeah. I can't give yeah. you tax advice, but. I'm a business owner and I deduct my health insurance. So I'm speaking from my practical experience, right? I write it off my cell phone, my office phone. Like if it's a business related uh, expense, it's going to be on my schedule C for sure. Yeah. But, but the thing is, Bruce, is you have that mentality. The reason why you left Wall Street, the reason why you're doing what you're doing right now is you, you are in service. You want to give back. Absolutely. You want to help. Majority of people would be like, "Hey, it's not my not problem. My, not my problem, man. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's that's not my department. I'm not here to save anybody taxes. I'm not here that that's not going to further me because a lot of people are like, how is this going to further me? You you saving money on her taxes? If if you were that guy, it's no skin. Let her pay. Let her do whatever. I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting." You're- not taking me out to dinner. She's not right. referring me anybody. It's yeah, not- and and you know, keep in mind, like you know, these these aren't like multi million dollar transactions when you're putting people in health insurance or Medicare. But it, we're service oriented. My wife Robin handles a lot more of the the customer service side of things. I'm out with the marketing and and the sales and all of that, and it's a good tandem. And so the other day, a client sent us a text. And she was struggling. She was on the phone literally for five hours going round and round about a claim that she had on her health insurance. And she finally got to us of like, I need your help. And the first thing we said to her was, why did you call them first? Like, why did you just waste five hours? Like, call us, let us, we either know where to go or who to talk to, or maybe we can solve and fix the problem for you. But it frustrated us. And we were upset that she wasted five hours and got aggravated. And all she had to do was call us at noon instead of 5 p.m. Like just so we tell clients like, Omar, you got an issue? Just come to me. Let's figure it out. Let me see who the right people are to talk to and and not let you stress over trying to figure it out. But the thing is, is you want raving fans. You want to help people. A lot of you said it best. Deep in her mind, she's already programmed. That's right. Once she signed on the dotted line. You disappeared. Right. We don't want to disappear because we, we, want, we want to keep her as a client. We want her to endorse us to other people to get more business. And that's one of the ways we try and do it is they say, this guy's going to go to bat for me. He took care of, you know, they stepped in. His wife did this and she left us a nice, you know, Google review and everything else. But the, the woman today that I did the plan uh, renewal and and mentioned the taxing, she's referred us 10 people. She loves us from the interaction of last year. She's like, I tell everybody and she thanks us constantly. And we, you know, we send a little thank you things here and there, but, but the point is you have a good experience. People want to know who you're working with Omar. Hey, that's a great looking hat. Where'd you get it? I need something like that. And you're going to say, I got a guy, I got a gal, right? We all, we all want to work with people. We know, like, and trust. I'm going to rely on you and my inner circle for that introduction and referral. Who do you use for blank? 
who do you know at Lexus when I want to go car shopping? Who do you know at Home Depot when I need to redo my shower, right? Like we're, we're seeking endorsements from others based upon practical experience. I may never get you to refer somebody to me, but I don't want you bad mouthing me. Use anybody but Bruce. <laughs> I don't want that oh, guy. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> that guy, that guy, forget it. But if you give them a good experience, right? When you had your business, you wanted people to come back and buy more of their smoothies. You wanted to give them a good experience. Again, people don't remember what you did. They remember what you, how you made them feel. It's right? all about how you make others feel. It's all about connecting. It's all about making people know they matter. That's right. And that's, and that's what we try and do. You know, in the grand scheme of things, we all matter. And marketing 101, the reason why Disney World, the reason why the Wynn Casino, Las Vegas, the reason why they keep on getting repeat customers. When, I mean, who the hell wants to lose so much money in Vegas? Right. Who wants to be at a theme park waiting two hours for a, a 30 second thrill? Play it's miserable. <laughs> It's because of customer service. It's the experience. I mean, Vegas, that's why Vegas hosed Atlantic City. Oh, well, we're all about the gambling. And Vegas is like, well, hey, we're, we're all about the customer experience. They should have known something was up when people from the East Coast, New York and Jersey and Philly were taking the red eye and going to Vegas. But it's not until when you shit hits the fan that you're like, Oh yeah, maybe maybe this My is model is work. Model. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Look, there was a big difference. I go to Atlantic City. We, I mean, this is college years. Uh, we worked. I delivered pizzas at a pizza shop, and the two pizza uh, the owners of it loved Atlantic City. And my brother and I worked there. My brother worked in the kitchen. I was delivering pizzas. Another pizza guy, delivery guy, and the place would close, clean up between ten and eleven, and we're out the door at eleven, and we pile into the car and it's two hours. We get there at one. Now, thankfully back then the casino was closed at six. So you couldn't be there all day and all night in, in, in the eighties. It closed at six. So we play, we get there at like one o'clock. We gamble till they closed. We'd have some breakfast and then we drive back and sleep on it. You know, it was now Sunday morning and you can't do that for Vegas, you know? So if you lived on the East coast and you get to Lake city in two hours, it was, it was uh, a way to get your fixes. But yeah, once we were able to afford and start going to Vegas, yeah, Vegas trout, you know, Trump, uh, no, no pun intended. Trump, uh, no, no pun intended yeah. there, right? <laughs> he, he had four casinos. There. <laughs> yeah, he, Trump, Trump had four casinos back in those days. So um, you, you're working at a pizza place, but look at you now, man, you're like, you're you're like looking better and better. Oh, you, you look better, and this is one straight guy to another. You look better than when I met you a year ago, dude. Oh, well. So I lost. So people, don't know, I, I, I'm 59. I turned 59 a couple of weeks ago. Omar's birthday and I are a day apart, but 10 years apart. And uh, I lost 59 pounds in a year for my 59th birthday. So I celebrated that, and I put a few pounds back on since. But yeah, you know, I I I always worked around food, right? I worked at, at Carvel. And I used to help myself to the ice cream quite frequently. Oh man, that cookie puss, <laughs> Carvel. Here, here, here's here's the uh, one of the unPC things of, of from today from back then is they they used to have uh, the dietary ice cream was you remember it's called Thinny Thin, mm -hmm. right? So I get people don't know who Carvel is. So Tom Carvel, it was out in the in, you know New York area, Long Island, and he would do his own commercials. He was an older gentleman, and he'd get on there and he goes, you know, Wednesday is Sunday at Carvel, and you know, don't forget we got. We got thinny thin for all you fatty fats. Oh, you, <laughs> can't, like, that now, you can't say that now. But in 1978, he was saying it all over the place. So, anyway, so yeah, I went to Carmel and I delivered pizzas. I was a waiter. I was a busboy. You know, I was always, always around food. The food business, I guess, needed people, right? I was dumb. And, well, and money. you were a former athlete. You said Division II football, yeah. baseball. I, I didn't go everywhere. I showed up. I was about it. <laughs> hey, so, dude, uh, I, 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 I didn't, I couldn't play NAIA Division Three, Division Two. Right, definitely not, not in any sport, not, not in this lifetime. Maybe my next lifetime. I was, I was a legend in my own mind, probably. So I, I, I had, a, I was speaking at a chamber event the other day. You're not speaking. I was part of a, a group, and you had to go around tell some, tell the group, like thirty of us, something that Omar would never know about you, right? You had to tell everybody something nobody would ever guess. And so uh, I was trying to think of something 
you know, funny and, and interesting. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, so I try to get walk on for football and I played spring football and then I got mono. And so that was the end. That was the end of my football career heading into my sophomore year. And so, um, Again, this is in the early 80s. So when you registered for classes, it was all like you go to the gym and you line up and you wait in line. Oh, and, I, then, I, and then when you remember, I mean, do you remember this? That, that's how my college registration yeah. was. But. Yeah. So, well, I mean, a lot of these people listen may not know this, right? So you, you, I'm old too. Right. So, you know, you would be assigned a time and you would go and you would get in line and you would hope to catch this class and that class. And you wanted a certain time and a certain professor and you tried to build your schedule, but the, the classes would close and then you'd have to go to plan B and you'd just jump it around. Well, guess what? If you're an athlete, you go first. And so my fraternity brothers all figured out if we're cheerleaders, you get to register first. You get the best classes, the best times, the best professors, you know who to take because you had to build your schedule to the travel of, of the sports sure. teams. So we had a half a dozen fraternity brothers became cheerleaders because we all figured out the scam, like getting early class selection. So I was a cheerleader. So I told people, like, I was a male cheerleader for uh, you know, for a, a season hey, in college, I, I couldn't even do that. I mean, uh, it was I, I hate at LSU. They're pretty, pretty fit and pretty. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, again, I'm this division two. LSU's big time, right? So, but I tell, I tell every time I hear Billy Jean, I just cringe because it was like that big song we did a performance to. In 1983, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to hear Billy Jean ever again. Like, get that thing away from me. But uh, yeah, it was okay. It was. Uh, but what made you want to lose all that weight, though? Was was it like you're you're well, just I'm I turning mean, sixty, or was it like was it just a goal that you had, or you wanted to see your grandkids? Want one of those? You wanted to be there forever and ever? Because there's always like something. Well, that it didn't. Is I, I I didn't get heavy overnight. It's been years and years of of culmination. And as my doctor said in my forties, he goes, "If you put on." a third of a pound or a quarter of a pound a month in 10 years, you're going to put on 40 pounds and you don't even realize it because it's just two, three, four pounds, two, three, four pounds. Mm -hmm. Well, in 10 years, it's 30 and 40. So, um, you know, I, I st still worked out pretty regularly. You're a CrossFit guy. I, I did CrossFit until I blew out my shoulder. Like everybody tends to do. It's a back or a shoulder or a knee injury. Uh, all but I was doing for me. Uh, all the above, right? all the above. And the, but, and the but I, this, this is not part of the weight loss piece, but, I joined CrossFit when I moved down here. I was already 52, 53 years of age, and everybody was half my age. And nobody thought I was in my 50s, but they're like, Wait, how old are you? Like, oh, we thought you were so-and-so's age. We thought you were only 40. I'm like, oh, God bless you. I'm 55. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, no. But so I've always worked out. And I'm, I'm not tall per se. I'm, I'm a Jewish 5'11". It means I'm 5'10 and three quarters. I round up. And so I'm not even six foot, but I've always been heavy set lower legs. I could squat 500 pounds. I could deadlift 500. Like I was always big and strong football wise. I probably got that, that DNA in me and, uh, but I could never get the weight off. And so I, I went from being 200 pounds to 20. I went from 220 to 240. And then I blew up from 240 and it just kept going up. And I, in my forties, I couldn't get below 240 pounds. I met my wife 20 years ago, 25 years ago, second wife. Uh, we're, met, we're together 24 years. I weighed 205. And I look at those pictures and I'm like, what happened? Well, I was 35. Now I'm 55 and I'm still 250. So I, I just kept saying, I want to lose 50 pounds for my 50th and it didn't happen. I want to lose 55 for my 55th. It didn't happen. And then COVID hit. So two things. I lost the, the gym you know, workouts at CrossFit. And the weight started going up because I wasn't exercising. And then COVID eventually came in and there was another 15 or 20 pounds because nobody was doing anything except watching TV and eating. And so I put on even more and I wasn't exercising. Well, the catalyst to your point of this is I was at some coach bird activities and he talks about what activates your prey drive. And one of them is embarrassment. And that stuck with me. There's other reasons why people's prey drives are activated. but. A year ago, on my birthday, July of 2021, I spoke at an insurance event. For the first time, I was putting myself out there. I was building up. It was pre-planned, man, but I was talking about how new agents, new advisors, you know, the do's and don'ts of networking, how to build your own networking group, whatever it was. I was talking, and, and I was putting myself out there, and my wife recorded it. 
off of her phone, nothing fancy. And I was a fat sausage. I was horrified at what I saw of how fat I really got. Because now, you know, you're on Zoom for the last two years. And yeah, you see your fat face, but I'm not seeing everything else. You know, I can't see behind me. I see my shadow going, man, I'm big. <laughs> like I would walk by, you know, a reflection in a window and I'm looking at what's behind me. Um, but the bottom line is that embarrassment from speaking at that event activated my prey drive. I called Coach Burt and his wife, Natalie, and I said, sign me up. I'm ready to go. And I, I like poker, I was all in. I was just like, I got to. Now, the, the good news, at least, as you said, see my grandkids and stuff like that is I take no medications. But I was getting to that point that my my cardiologist is like, you know, my and my primary were like, you know, you're borderline high blood pressure. We're going to have to start putting you on on meds. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want any meds. So my blood pressure this week was 120 over 76. I take a baby aspirin and my vitamins and supplements. I don't take any medication. And I don't want to. And I've lost over 55, 60 pounds. And I still need to lose some more. I want to, I, I have a longer term goal for my 60th to, to take off, but I want to rebuild it. I want to do a little bit differently this time. Um versus what I was. But yeah, embarrassment to the Coach Burt, you know, dynamic of prey drive. Man, it it lit me up. And I just it worked. It worked. That's all I could say. It did. It it, it was the pain though. Because usually when they say either pain or inspiration, not many people, you know, it's FOMO, right? FOMO. A lot of people are motivated by FOMO. They feel like they're missing out. And for me, it was pain. I was just tired of, you know, again, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? It's just like, it's the same grind. It's the same, you know, and I don't know about you, but I get tired of eating the same freaking food. How much grilled chicken can I eat? Like, I I don't like grilled chicken to begin with. You know, I don't like broccoli. Well, I, I I work out so much because I, I love eating. Right. I, I mean, yeah, I know the, the recipe for washboard abs and all that. Move right. move my ass to London, and I have to eat English right. food. Yes. Yeah, you'll lose plenty of it. Right. I'll, I'll lose plenty of it. But you know, here in, in America, you know, Atlanta, not only land of opportunity, but capitalism, man. You, you know, such amazing, diverse. Food and you know, dude, trust me. I, I used to be huge and I would work out, and it, it it wasn't until it hit me. Yeah, your metabolism shot. The older right. you get, you can't be like, yeah. well, I, I worked out so I, I can eat a pizza, a whole pizza. No, I mean, father time sucks. Uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, absolutely. Whoever said age is just a number was like some young punk 20 year old that came <laughs> up with that stupid saying. <laughs> my, my, my father says, getting old is not for sissies. It's hard. <laughs> it, it's not, man. It, it, it's not. It, it's funny. I, I tell people all like, oh, are you at 100% when you work out? I'm like, if that was the case, I would only work out like four times a year. <laughs> right. No, the first, always bothering you. Yeah. The first 20 steps out of bed. <laughs> are like, you know, oh I, my gosh. I can't tell you how many times I have a, a cooler for water bottles right in the kitchen. I come down, I make my shake and I have a couple of bottles of water. The coffee's going and I bend over just to get the water out of the, the mini fridge and my back goes out. I'm like, oh, and I'm like, and my day's shot because now my back's killing me. And all I did was reach for a bottle of water. I'm like, I'm not deadlifting. I'm like, I'm not doing no, it. I, I, I get it because I, it's, I it's a bottle of water. I, I, I went to New when I went to New York a couple months ago to speak. Uh, I went, I dropped my underwear on the floor. I went to pick it up. And I felt like somebody took a knife to me. So right I'm body. like, yeah, I'm like walking around like Herman Munster talking. Oh. People don't re- like the younger kids don't realize. Like, yeah. Talk, talking just, to college kids, you know, yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. Do you have any questions? <laughs> and I was glad nobody's like, why are you walking around? Like, like you know, like you're stiff because pain, I am. The pain stiff. is real. The pain is real. It's... Pain, pain, pain is real, man. And whoever says pain is weakness leaving the body, well, <laughs> I'm waiting for all that weakness to, to get out there. <laughs> it's taking its time. So, Bruce, I, I love you. Oh, you're the man. I, I'm, I'm going to be there on Friday. Did, did you? Say oh, that? you want to go? I know you. You want to go? We're going to meet you there. All right. I'll make yeah. sure we, we're all right. 
I know it was it was a half invite just to let you know what was going on. But all right, I got to make sure I'm there then. Text oh, me. Oh, dude. So I, I could have gone. I could have shown up all the way to Boca to your. No, event. I wasn't going to be hanging. It's not my event. <laughs> it isn't. No, it's it's a. a so it, 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 people don't know what we're talking about. So there's there's a one year anniversary place for this really good pizza place that I like, which of course I can't eat it. Oh, it's dude, I thought I thought it was your one year anniversary of no. Ask the plan, man. That's why I no, oh, no, screw no. it, dude. I'm not going to go all the way to Boca. <laughs> well, we can meet. We can meet somewhere and go have dinner. Oh, we can I'm, meet. I'm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I. No, it's, I'll plug I, the pizza place. It's called How You Doing? How You Doing? It's fabulous. Really good. The brick oven, the guy. So here's your, um, you know, inventions, you know, creation coming out of, uh, you know, bad times or whatever. The guy was stuck at home with COVID, as most all of us were. And he started tinkering around and making pizzas at home. And then his friend would come over, his neighbor would come over. And all of a sudden, he's like, his pizzas are a big hit. So he went and he opened a place in Boca. And it's called How Ya Ya, How You Doing? Because they're from New York. How you doing? You know, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And so we went on a cheat day and I'm like, this is really good. So I tagged you because it was pizza and they were having an anniversary party Friday. And I'm like, oh, you know, we invite yeah, a couple of people. I, I, I accepted the invite. I saw it. I, I thought you just wanted pizza. No. I, I, although good marketing, uh, I, I go all the way to uh, uh, Munchies on Deerfield just because that's why I tell people. Market, market yourself, market your services, man. There's, sure. You don't need to discount your your products nonstop. If you do good material and if you post always, if you have an idiot like me driving 20 miles, 25 miles north to get pizza. I'll go anywhere to eat for good food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So do it, man. And, and, and you know, I, I tell, well, I, I don't talk to the woman that I sold my stores to because she clearly knows more than me. But yeah. It's all about marketing. It's all about doing it. Dude, you're relentless. And I love that. I love that about you. You you want everybody to know. Tim Tim Grover, winning and relentless. Those are his two goals. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I met I met him at at the lodge. I'm he's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, amazing guy. Although when when I saw him, I felt bad because I was like 40 pounds heavier. He yeah. Like, yeah, he's a good shape though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All, so t- He's he's closer to your age, and I'm here yeah. asking him for for tips, and, and he gave me yeah. tips. Great they, guy. This, people don't know, Tim Grover is is now motivational, you know, speaker, coach, whatever. He was Michael Jordan's personal coach, and uh, then Kobe Bryant's, and he's got two books called Winning and Relentless. Which, and Dwayne Wade. Hey, you, you oh, Dwayne Wade. Later. Yeah. Throw Dwayne Wade in there. Dwayne Wade too. Yeah, but yeah. the best part about the story was he asked. Nobody yeah. ever asked the bulls. What if it did ask? What if it did work? Right? What if it did work? Yeah. And he solicited, he solicited yeah. the whole team. He lived in Chicago. He was like 23 years of age. And I think one player took him up on it. If he tells a story and then all of a sudden Michael Jordan, like, well, I want in on that. And then interviewed him, met with him. You know, he came in and did shoes. I think he tells a story like he wasn't wearing Nike. He's like, don't ever wear those again in my house. But but Grover was like, I don't want to say he was out of his league, but he really didn't know what he was getting involved with. But then the two of them just were perfect. And, and he worked for free for one year. Now, how many people would do that? Now, now it, it, it paid tenfold because everybody oh, at anybody knew, would hire Tim Grover. Although Michael Jordan would pay him way more so that he wouldn't train anybody. So when he That's started right. he get, getting other clients is when he, he wouldn't let it work for anybody else. Yeah. That's when right. he was out the door, when he retired, he had to get like permission to take on Kobe. Right. Like it yes. was, he, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he, Kobe, he and Kobe were talking. And he eventually said, all right, you can work with Tim too. And, and <laughs> then after MJ retired, that's when he started um, getting all these other different clients. So, it's crazy. So he's a, he's a very very nice man. I mean, he yeah yeah. I, no, he very, autographed the book. We were talking. Very I, I didn't, Yeah, I didn't know much about him. Uh, it was a Coach Bird event that he was uh, speaking at, and I was in that you know one of the behind the scene rooms, and he was super nice. And I'm like, will you, you know, will you be willing to autograph the book? He's like, of course. And he's autographing the book, taking he's pictures. Awesome. He gave he's me a really couple nice. books. Uh, he signed a poster that for my daughters, which. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a BTS or a Post Malone, but but they know who Tim Grover is. They just never put up the poster. 
Well, Bruce, I know you plugged the hell out of yourself at the beginning. Oh, you, 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 you have to here. do it again. There, right. There's always a time for me because there's always a time to plug. Plug away. Ask the plan, man. All right. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to take out your cell phones and you're going to text to this phone number, 321-421-5213. That's the number you're going to text to. And then you're going to put the word plan, man, and you're going to send the word plan, man. Make sure there's no space. And you're going to get our digital business card back that's going to let you to subscribe or contact us at any and all of our social media devices. You can Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, but you can go right to the YouTube page. You can go to your favorite podcast channels. It's all got a bunch of buttons on there. And then you want to make an appointment. You want to call us. It's all there. So go hit 321-421-5213. Text the word plan, man. And that'll save everybody doing anything else. But anything with the plan, man, just ask the plan, man. You can find us everywhere. He's very personable. Ask ask him to be on, on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, all kidding aside you, aside, you have an amazing podcast. I love Thank it. Thank you. I, I wouldn't have just been on it if I I enjoy it, man. I enjoy you you plugging away on what if it did work. Been, so for your audience to know that you were very encouraging when I was launching this as we were getting to know each other. And you, you've been very supportive on the weight loss kick and uh, my campaign there and, and responsive to my post there. So I do appreciate that and, and our new friendship this past year. And yeah, I, you know, I'm just glad we met in Nashville last September and I'll see you there in a couple of weeks. It's all about being in the right room at the right place. Yeah. And, and that, that, that's how I met Bruce. I gave him a copy of my book. I didn't realize he lived down the street from me. That was, that was, that was the funny part, right? Cause you, you were speaking and I must've answered something where I, I was first and you gave me the book and then you autographed it for me in the lunch break. And they, I found out you were in Miami. I'm like, Oh dude, I'm right up the road from you. So we just started staying in touch. We found each other on Facebook and we still got, I don't know if we're going to go for pizza Friday, but we still got to get together for. Well, we'll, we'll get together. It, it doesn't necessarily. I, I literally <laughs> thought that was the, the anniversary <laughs> of plan, man. That's, that's how you made a look. You didn't say <laughs> it, it was very vague. You know? it's a facebook invite i don't know how it works it just they were having an event that i invited you and my wife i said let's go for pizza friday well we'll, we'll discuss thank that you. now now till friday and thank bruce thank, thank you thank you for being so supportive and, and thank you for our friendship and thank you for inviting me on your show and i hope uh, we brought some value to your listener today you you and I are, are like-minded people. We don't look at people as uh, checking accounts as a ways to a means. We just want to help people live the best lives that they can possibly live. 100%. I'll give you one, one closing thought. As you said, the size of the bank account. So part of my problem with Main Street and Wall Street is as the firms and society got more prosperous, the Merrill Lynch wants a million dollar net worth. Morgan Stanley wants a million dollar net worth. The, the financial advisor at the big firms were told, we will not pay you on an account below a million dollars, meaning a relationship. You could have five accounts, but if Omar didn't have a million dollars with the firm, they assigned them to an in-house division and you couldn't, if I was the advisor and you had a half a million dollars, I, I could take you on, but they would keep the fees and I wouldn't get paid. So they were, again, it's the 80-20 rule and I get it. And I, I, you know, it's their business. They want people focusing on, you know, the top 1% client base. But I'm like, there's a lot more people down at the bottom end that are not getting advice and services. And from day one for me, cold calling out of a phone book in 1987, I didn't care if you had five cents. If you're willing to talk to me and you're going to do what I tell you to do. I'll be as loyal to you. And guess what? They were my most loyal clients through thick and thin and market crashes. And they referred the heck out of me. But maybe they had 100,000. Maybe they had a quarter million. Maybe they had 50,000. Omar, you and I were not born with a trust account and $50 million, were you? I so <laughs> so how, how do people who want to do something get good, proper health? And that's where I'm coming from. And my career has always been, I got no minimum. You you got a thousand dollars. Let's get. Let me tell you what to do, because guess what? They're gonna now. Then they have another thousand and five, and then their friend, and then they hit the lottery, and then they, you know, exactly. So uh, yeah, I, so I have no problems with people desaying dollar cost yeah. average. Yeah, yeah, it, it comes from all angles, but 
look, uh, my last one, I know you want to wrap up. My father, I started in the business and my father said to me, you can cut a person's hair many times. You can only scalp them once. So I've been from the, you like that? I've been from the proponent of, I always play win-win. I don't play win-lose. Win-lose, yeah, I might make something today, but I'll never get it again. You're not going to come back, right? That bad car experience. And and you can't sleep at night when you screw people. No, I had integrity. I I have to look in the mirror. I I had integrity at a young age. I wasn't out to get over on somebody. I wasn't out to rip off somebody. I'm here to help you. Yes, I get paid, but 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 nobody works for free. A problem. So that's a sale. That's a transaction. That's right. right. Manipulation is if you got paid, but the other person got screwed. Right. So, you know, I've always done that. Just keep them coming back. You want to, every five weeks I get my haircut. The girl loves to see me, right? I just keep coming back. The day she butchers my hair, I'm going to go find somebody else to cut my hair. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, this is an expensive weave. I got to make sure it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. I get Already, you know. brother. I, I love you, man. Thanks for everything. Oh, thank you so much. I love you too. I never told no one that. How do you get influencers to talk about your business? AccessMyNetwork.com Collaborate with industry-leading influencers on social media when you sign up. AccessMyNetwork.com Start your brand awareness campaigns and generate leads. AccessMyNetwork.com I never told no one that My whole life I've been holding back Every time I load my gun up so I can shoot for the stars I hear a voice like, who do you think you are? Negative Come to mind when I start thinking bold Like why you chasing dreams, aren't you getting kind of old? Woo. I knew I needed help I had no self-confidence, didn't believe in myself I tried not to feel or listen to my intuition To start a business But before I even started, I feel like it's finished You got a vision And let me say, I don't care if they're your blood Got the same DNA They can't feel how you feel They can't see what you see Wanna change your life, you gotta change the way you think The thoughts in your mind is the boss of your life Nothing but good vibes, every day I'm thinking like What if it did work? What if you took action and made it happen And started living inside of your purpose? What if it did work? Right now you can make the choice To never listen to that negative voice no more The hardest prison to us is our own mind. I was trapped inside that prison all for a long time. To make it happen, you gotta take action. Just imagine what if it did work.